Hello and welcome to this episode of Mind the Gap, making education work across the globe with me, Tom Sherrington and Emma Turner. Hello, Emma. Good evening, Tom. How are you? Yeah, really good. And it's the final episode of our season. And so we're very excited to be talking to Caroline Derbyshire, uh, who is a, a legend. We're going to talk about what all the stuff you've done, but it's so brilliant to talk to you. So hello, Caroline. Hi, Tom. Hi, Emma. It's lovely to uh, have time to chat to you as well this evening. It's great. So uh, we, we, we all have something in common, which is that we've all um, been heads of schools and uh, you still are. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still am, yes. And you have this fantastic uh, role um, working in your in your trust. And I'll actually tell you a bit about it. I, my, my association with you is for two things, which I'll just say. First of all is being a, a currently the, the kind of the leader of the head teachers round table, the heads round table, which I used to be in. And, and, and now you do a great job promoting their work. We'll talk a bit about that. But also Saffron Walden County High School. So sometimes people ask me, you know, have I been to see excellent practice and so on recently? And, and the truth is that most of the schools that invite me ask me to go in because they're they kind of you know trying to get on top of things. And I've been to your school a few times, and it's to see just what it's like when things are working. And it's just it is a phenomenal school, and I, I've I've blogged about it several times. So I just want to say congratulations to you because what you've created that that school is outrageously good, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you've led that, and it's really amazing. So I mean, just uh, do you feel a real sense of you must feel a real sense of pride in that school? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we, you know, we're now a trust of nine schools, and it all started really with with Sackmore County High School. Um, you know, reaching out and and wanting to form a bigger organisation. But actually, I I kind of predate the headship, Tom. But I don't know if you know this. I am um, I applied to be an assistant head at Saffron Walden. You know, it's my first senior job, um, and uh, I I was appointed by the then head David Boatman. Who, you took a bit of a gamble on me, really, because I was late to the interview. Um, I was still breastfeeding a baby, so I had literally got my mum to babysit my son for the very first time. I was all over the place. I was running into the loo to use a breast pump, pump halfway through the interview. I have no idea why I got the job. Um, but, but, he, but, but I think the thing is, I was so relaxed that I just was funny all day. And, and you know, sometimes you, when you're very tense, you lose that very important part of who you are. And I, I am somebody who likes to laugh a lot. Um, and I just, because I just thought I completely messed it all up, I just laughed all the way through the day. And they they kind of, they warned to me and I just got this job. So I, I went into that school as an assistant head, um, teaching and learning. It was a dream of a job, you know, um, absolutely dream of a job in a school like that to, to develop teaching and learning. Um, and then I stayed there until I'd become a, a deputy. And then actually what I did when I got my first headship is I just took everything that was brilliant about Saffron Walden into my into my headship and made that good, that school as good as I could. And then once I'd done that, I kind of, you know, my predecessor left and I was in, in a fantastic place. So I was able to get the, the headship and I've, I've been involved in, in you know, running the school, uh, firstly as, as head, then executive head, and now CEO for, for about eight years now. So, uh, you know, it's kind of come full circle really. And uh, we're doing very different things 
um, in teaching learning to the things we were doing, you know, at the beginning of my career. I dabbled in all sorts of things. You probably, uh, probably, you know, looked down your nose at, uh, as we all did in those days, Tom, um, <laughs> to be fair, or, you know, learning styles and all that sort of stuff. We had a little oh, dabble. Yeah. Um, we moved away from all of that. And so it's very different now. But, um, but, but yeah, it's a tremendous school in, in so many ways. The quality of the staff there, the... Uh, the fact that it's the only school in the town, you know, I mean, I, 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 I could bore people for hours about this, but, you know, I, I think it is in so many ways the model of everything that a, a comprehensive school should and could be. A yeah. school that has no competition, that is the only town, in the, is only school rather in the locality that has had the, the benefit of a lot of, it, lot of investment, some of it private investment from parents. And that has just been able to do things as well as it possibly can do them. You know, it's, it's got this tagline over the door to say it wants to be a school of, of exceptional quality, a local school of exceptional quality. And it just does deliver on that. Um, and, it, and if you could replicate that everywhere, it, you know, education would be very, very different. It would. I mean, it's got, I mean, it's, it's I, mean, I think it's, you know, like it's got its locational advantages in some senses it's got its challenges but it's got sort of the thing I, that, that i think it characterizes it the, the above all else is what what it's like when a group of teachers want to uh, stay in a school and develop because you've you've got this sort of uh, mature staff of people who are, are kind of talented and experienced but they've kind of gone to, or you keep them hold you hold on to them long enough to develop them and the cpd culture there is uh, exceptional and yeah, and it, and it the lessons, doesn't it? You see, I mean, I've written blogs about your school where you just sort of see lesson after lesson. You go there for a day, and you think that lesson after lesson is of a very, very high quality. Constantly, you think, wow, and then you're trying to deconstruct why it is. And you've got teachers who know their stuff, who are working hard at crafting lessons, involving all the students, and it's just all the things you want teachers to do. They're doing them. And it's just, it, it's just all. I mean, it's not perfect in every regard because every challenge school has challenges, but it's got. That's the thing that I think of it most of is it's got this professional culture which you lead. So it absolutely does, and 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 it the, the strength of it sits in those departments. You know, it's it's. I remember you know when I first spoke spoke to you about about the school, I was interested in the idea that we were the learning rainforest as a school, mm. um, and and you know because it was something that was sustainable that continued to grow, continued to flourish, and all it held all, all this fabulous kind of. Uh, learning life in it and and it had come from these really amazing um you know kind of climates these these amazing climates of, of what was going on in departments in, in subject areas where as you say you know trainees would come in they'd stay they'd learn from their elders as it were um and and that culture of uh, you know a subject team working together and researching together and growing together and using evidence and, and improving their practice. That's what's happened in every in every subject area in the school. And it's that really rich culture. It's, it's that's 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 the heart of it, I think. Well, I was gonna I had before I hand over to Emma on this, and I just want to just this is my you cued me up now. I've got I've, this <laughs> my, I'm very proud of this book. I don't I, I don't think I make enough fuss about it to be honest, but it's just it's because it's quite big. <laughs> I think it's the quite unwieldy in, the, in its the size, but it's the Learning Rainforest Field Book. And this week we produced this uh, after my Learning Rainforest book, and it's full of case studies. And yours is right at the front because you did actually say that to me. And it, I wrote this blog about five years ago called 
Saffron Walden County High School, an exemplary school, the learning rainforest made real. And it, it just has this, and, and it's because the, the concept in the learning rainforest is about excellence taking many forms and creating the, the culture and the structures to allow excellence to flourish without mandating what everything needs to be. And that's what you do. You let people find themselves in that professional autonomy kind of driven process. But it's excellent. And I can reel off like samples of me, like it's probably the best um, DT lesson I've ever seen in your school, the best drama lesson I've ever seen in your school. Some of the best MFL teaching I've ever seen is in your school. It's like, and it just stuck with me because it's just so strong. And that that's like, it's quite rare to see that. So Emma, well, what's, I mean, we could keep that. Thank you. I'll hand over to you. What's, what, just, what do you think about what we're saying here? I mean, it's, it's, have you ever been to Saffron Walton campus? Yeah, I'm just wanting to Google trains now to go to <laughs> Apart from wanting to buy a train ticket to Saffron Walton, I've been sitting here listening, thinking, okay, so there'll be people listening to the brilliant things that you've done in school and be thinking, how can I kind of Caroline Derbyshire my school? Where do I start in creating similar systems or cultures or approaches that are transferable, that we can replicate? And if so, where do I start? Maybe for somebody who's starting a new headship or somebody who's maybe taken on a new school. What are the things that you think, you know what, this really does work. You could start here. Okay, so my sort of belief is that you start with the people and you appoint really bright people, capable teachers. And this is where I'm in agreement, I think, with, you know, Bridget Phillipson over making sure that you appoint people of calibre, um, that they have got qualified teacher status, that they're really good graduates, and you get give them great training. Um, so that's kind of easy to say, isn't it? But you know, you have to get in, you have to have skin in the game in ITT. And one of the things that Saffron Walden's always done is it's always had a, a training school. It was involved in, in the graduate training program right from the beginning. Um, it's always had teaching schools. It's now got a teaching school hub associated with with our trust. And we, we, we spend a lot of time focusing on that. And it's something that, you know, I was talking to Johnny Utley about the other day, about that that's one of the things our two trusts have got in common is that we put a lot of emphasis on people and a lot of emphasis upon training. And training people to think and develop as, as, as people who read and research and uh, kind of have an independence in that, not that they're following uh, slavishly a scheme of work that's been developed by the one bright person in the room, but actually that they can all do that and they can all co-construct their curriculum together because they've all gone through that gone through that process. And I've never really felt it was too much to ask of graduates to be able to do that. You know, my daughter's a, 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 a young Cambridge graduate. You know, I'm delighted when she said she wanted to go into teaching. Um, and I just really hope that, you know, she's starting in a, in a wonderful school in September. And I really hope that the school, you know, recognises that she's a packed person with huge talent and ability and, and enables her to be creative and involved in the construction of, of, of learning. Because that's the thing that I think is killing a lot of a lot of schools at the moment in order to drive up exam results. They are turning into, you know, uh, the, the plantation style environment where they're everybody's doing everything the same and it has an impact on outcomes don't get me wrong but what you don't get is that rich cultural development that comes from diversity i mean that that's the heart of it for me 
I do the training that you give people. I'm just thinking about if you if you want to grow the same crop, you tend it in the same way. How does your training encourage the flourishing of that diversity within your systems? I think because we are we, we encourage people to ask questions um, and and to read broadly and not to take anything as gospel. Um, even if that you know, even if it's a really good best bet to be critical in their thinking about it. Is it the right context? Is it the right subject? Um, you know, uh, does their lived experience contradict what they're reading? There are all sorts of things I think you have to bring intelligently to teaching um, and, and to your own practice. And I think that sometimes we underestimate how, how skilled that is um, as, as a thing to do uh, because, because it, it, you know, it does require somebody who's, who's developed kind of critical faculties to do that. And I think that's where the having teams of, of people who are sharing all the time, who are asking each other's questions, who are comparing each other's practice. That's where you get that, where you get that culture. You're listening to Mind the Gap presented by John Cat Educational. Over the past six decades, John Cat has supported teachers and school leaders with research-based, easy-to-use professional development books for the entire faculty. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com in the United States or at johncatbookshop.com or elsewhere across the globe to find the latest titles. You know what? I mean, this is one of the things that when I first started my, my blogging life 10 years ago, um, one of the first blogs I wrote, which sort of took off and it still does. I mean, it's it's crazy how many people have read it, which is again about your school, and it was about the uh, it was about your your marking strategy. And I went to visit, and I reported on kind of the process. It was the CPD process that I was talking about, as much as the content. And the content was the idea of students responding to feedback. And you have this thing. I don't know if it's still used, but you used to call it close the closing the gap. And so in art. Closing the gap means like, you've done this piece of work and here's some feedback with post-its on the, on the painting uh, and you close the gap by enclosing the gap between what it could be and what you've done so far because by responding to the post-its. In languages, closing the gap was I've made some annotations on a piece of writing, so try to take note of what I've said and improve your writing. And close the gap in maths meant here's your, the ones you got right or wrong. And every subject had its way of doing that. And the CP. Yeah. Uh, a kind of about four or five rooms where it, different teachers were sort of doing a little show and tell of this is how we do closing the gap, close the gap in our subject, come and listen. And so you would go to a room and there'd be a teacher saying, this is how we do it in English. Here's some books, here's some samples, 15, 20 minutes, right? Let's cycle around, let's go and see another department. And it was it was the structure of the showing and the sharing was was really deliberate. And this yeah. is a common theme of how do we respond to feedback was common, but the way it was done was was through the autonomy and the professionalism of each team. It was just that's how it was done. It was amazing. I thought that's how to do it. That that is that is how you do it. And and there are some commonalities. I think you know the fact that everyone was using the idea of there is a learning gap to close, um, and that the expectation is a really high one for student uh, you know uh, achievement. So there are commonalities, but I think it's the route you get to that uh, that is 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 inspiring if it's related to your context, if it's related to what you know about and deeply know about your subject, 
Um, and I think if where things fall down and people get disgruntled is when they feel that there are models that that kind of outs, that, that sit outside of their context that are being imposed. Um, so, I mean, a classic one at the moment, for example, and I see it in my trust is the Ofsted framework, where which is really secondary, you know, specific. I think I don't know if you agree, with Emma, but I think it works all right. Folks are bare, Caroline. Yeah, I think it works okay. But for secondaries, I think it's not so great. Not so great for sick forms. I think it's not so great for early years. Pretty useless for special, you know. So it's there's there's that. And and too too often we do this. We just don't look enough because it because I know research is expensive and it's complex. But we take we we generalize from what's worked somewhere in a very specific space, and then try and make rules around it. And I've always resisted that. Oh, that's music to my ears. <laughs> the, the what works somewhere doesn't necessarily, it's not transferable, it's not directly congruent, it's specific to that context. That is music to my ears, Caroline. <laughs> it, it can be. I mean, it's worth trying most things, but sometimes actually, you know, um, yeah, you know, you waste an awful lot of time um, trying something that works in one subject area uh, and applying it somewhere else. You, you can waste just yeah, learning time and opportunities and so on. It's so interesting what you're saying there about, um, you know, this this culture that you've you fostered and you, you you have done. It's it's and you the, the the staff staying and that's a kind of a fact of what you've done. But it's so interesting. And I went to this uh, thing at the Wellington Education Festival last week, where David Weston from the Teacher Development Trust was talking about the evidence around t- teacher retention and. The, the, the things that teachers say that want them to stay and make them want to leave teaching. And then the things which which lead to teacher expertise, the research around what are the things which help teachers become experts. And guess what? They're <laughs> the same. So the things which want make, make teachers want to stay are things like um, autonomy, or a high degree of support and autonomy to make critical decisions. And that's how you become an expert. You need autonomy to make decisions to learn how to make the decisions. So it's sort of the short circuit thing that you just alluded to, of, you know, if we just sort of try to control teachers so we get sort of basic standards going, we can actually be undermining the long-term development of their skills, but also de- demotivating them from staying at all. So it's, it's a tough old balance. How have you found it now being in a, being a CEO and then tr- going into the whole world of, because my, my hunch is that you were not necessarily a massive fan of the whole map concept early on, but you now are <laughs> running one. Yeah, well, that, that's absolutely true. Big God Anna and I had a really long chat about this the other day, actually. I know he was on this on, on this podcast not so long ago about how we're so both of us are reluctant CEOs. We really liked being heads. And now we find ourselves in a room on our own a lot. And I said, are you enjoying it? And he said to me, oh, no, I don't really like it that much, Caroline. It can be quite lonely. And I said, yeah, it can be quite lonely, can't it? Um, and then we laughed and, and, and just thought, you know, is there a way back? Um, I, I don't think, I don't think, I, I do really feel like that. I mean, I, I feel what I've done, I suppose, in, in the latter part of my career is to try to um get the balance right with supporting heads um, to make their schools as good as they possibly can make them um, by using the resources that we've got in, 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 in a shared organisation. And um, 
And what, I, what gives me a kick is when I see that works. So, you know, when, when I look at my SATS results, for example, and I see, yeah, that school that's in a really, you know, disadvantaged area has just done some fantastic, fantastic work that's really, really moved those children on. And where have they learned that from? They've learned this, that from another school with a different area that's worked with them. And that's wonderful when you see, that, when you see the, the, the real advantages of partnership working. Um, and that what I call a very applied approach to school improvement. So, you know, I don't stand in cold spreadsheet like judgment of my schools, you know, rag rating them every day and, and, and holding them to account. I, I, I look to try and find ways of giving them resource and giving them support so they can get better because actually it's that autonomy thing again. You know, a head wants to be the head of their school. Um, a head teacher wants to be a head teacher, not a head of school. And they want their own culture and they want their own traditions and, and to make their own traditions. And, um, you know, but they also want to have high standards. And how can you do that in a, in a, in a trust context? Well, I try and do it in a really bespoke way. Look at what do you need? What can we give, give you? How can we help? How can we develop you? How can you develop that leader? How can we improve that teaching? And 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 that's that is exciting, and particularly when you see it work. Um, and sometimes it takes longer than you hope it's going to, but sometimes you know you just see it work, and that's a real thrill actually. The sweet spot is between autonomy and alignment in a trust for schools. Um, I think over certain things you've got to have alignment because I think it's about fairness. So, you know, human resources, staff, um, you've got to have alignment over financial policies. You've got to have alignment over uh, values, actually. You know, it's no good having a rogue head teacher who doesn't commit to, the, the, the you know, the, the group uh, belief in a sense. So that's, that's really key. But I think... I, th- I think there are different stages that schools go through, and I'm, you know, David Carter talks about this a lot. But but I would I would say it's almost for me it's like a four stage thing. There there are schools that are in a right mess where you absolutely have to get in there with hands and feet and help support on a daily basis, and 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 you know and 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 that's that's really important to do that. There are schools that are kind of like one stage up from that, whereby you need to kind of uh, make sure that. So your influence is, is, is regular and guiding. Um, and then beyond that, actually, you've got kind of levels of autonomy, I think, that need to be respected where, you know, a school has got a head who's doing as good a job as you could have done and, and improving their school and, and actually got a bit of, a, of an engine going. Um, and you could hinder them if you're not careful. So you let, let, them, let them go and do it is what I would say. So, yeah. I'm a family with siblings of different ages, as in how much parenting they might need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, there is a bit of a there is a bit of a um, a relationship between being the CEO and being the mum that I, I I understand quite deeply. Um, <laughs> that's quite I mean, that's quite a nice way of doing. It. I mean, I get to, I go to a lot of different places and with my work, and I do. I'd say in the main, people are generally positive about the MAT experience and being part of a culture where they're supported. But occasionally, to be quite honest, you meet people who are just, they report the MAT like it's the kind of Wizard of Oz, you know, oh, what? and they, there's a kind of slight 
edge, not, uh, fear isn't quite the right word. It's more a sort of that, that scrutiny pressure is very present and definitely the sense of, you know, mandated things. Well, we can't, we're not allowed to do that because we all have to do this. And sometimes that translates into schemes of learning, which pe- sometimes people value, sometimes they don't. And it's a, it's a tough thing because the mapped people are trying to do a big thing across a lot of schools and you can see what they're trying to achieve. But sometimes on the other side of it, it can feel, I don't know, constraining and, and frustrating. But you have to get the, the spirit right. So do you, how do you deal with that? Do you, is it all about just communication and bit presence or how do you? I, I, think, I think there are times when I get it really wrong and it's almost always about not realising how invested people are in a particular thing and asking for an alignment that they don't really want. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I... I think the other thing is that all the models of being a CEO and setting up trusts, Emma will understand this one, are rather male. Um, and I think I have to sort of um, do it my way um, as a female leader. And, and actually, um, you know, sometimes that means that I'm, I suppose I'm just doing it in my own way because I think that's the right thing to do. And that 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 probably means I'm, I'm ignoring or or not doing things the way uh, that some other some other trusts do them. Um, I mean, I'm quite a relational leader, so I will have regular meetings with my heads. I meet my head teachers every week. Um, you know, they have a little executive group, and we're going to bring it. We, when we bring ideas, we collaborate on those ideas and talk them through. Sometimes we have to say no. I'm really sorry. This is what we're doing because we don't have an alternative. But if you make those those different kinds of decisions clear, I think people really generally get it. Um, and and I don't think that's different from running a school in that regard, really. You know, I think probably good leaders can transfer those skills into different contexts if they really think about what the change of context is. I did do a little inward cheer when you said you were like a mum as a CEO. Because <laughs> <laughs> I work with a lot of mats and there's not a lot of mums out there. There's lots of dads and not a lot of mums. Um, but what I was going to ask is, uh, it's sort of linked to that, um, the kind of the female CEO landscape is its not a very kind of very well populated landscape at the moment. Uh, how? What would you say or what would you encourage women leaders to think or to do if they kind of in two minds about stepping up to be CEO or kind of throwing their hat in the ring what would you say well you know as well as I do Emma women are always in two minds about taking on anything aren't they I mean you know that they they always think they can't do it um and of course they have to be encouraged to and be you know I was part of a a book for women's ed called 10% braver a chapter for that um and and you know that 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 idea you've actually just got to encourage women to just be a bit more brave um and just to go it to, to do it and believe believe that you can i think that's that's important um but also to be resilient about when you do it because it's not going to go well necessarily initially i mean I, you know i had a horrendous first year as a head teacher you know all sort all manner of things i didn't expect happen happened to me and um I had to really draw on all sorts of reserves to get through it and uh and then every year after that was better so I just think there's a sense <laughs> there's a sense in which you know it, it is quite a, it was a it's a, being a head's a tough role being a CEO's a tough role when you first do it you're learning a lot very very fast um but you know I think a lot of it is just 
is is about is about you know having peers around you who are prepared to encourage you and say you're doing a good job and and, and tell you to stick in there and 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 sort of ignore the mistakes you're making and, and encourage you over the the things that you're doing well really. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you do a fantastic job of of celebrating the role. And I, we had a similar conversation with Vic Goddard in a sense, because you, I think you both have this thing in common, which is that you managed to champion causes and sort of be quite angry about issues. Yeah. But at the same time, sort of really fly the flag for the kind of moral purpose of the of education and the role. So I feel like you're a role model for 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 just doing the job and making it seem important, doable and you know rewarding and i think that's you know, so if someone's listening to this thinking just the fact just listening to you i'm thinking i kind of wish i had your job <laughs> it sounds, <laughs> sounds great and I, and I think that's important to say that but let, let's talk about some of those challenges because i think another thing that you're you've taken on and it's an amazing thing is i'm looking at the list now actually of the composition of the head teachers round table which is a powerhouse of people yeah uh, people who are serving heads executive heads uh, people like um, Duncan uh, Spalding, Helena Marsh. I'm just thinking, I mean, I don't know if they've come up with it. People, I know it changes, but Caroline Barlow is fantastic, is incredible. Uh, Dan Morrow, people would have, have seen. But, you, but And Vic is obviously part of that and has been. Johnny Utley, I don't know if he's formally involved, but he's part of it, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's, he's part of the group, yeah. And, and these are all people, you know, doing the hard, the hard thing. And really, sort of campaigning actively about all sorts of things, Ofsted funding. Yeah, and you had you had a whole stream at the Education Festival uh, in Wellington last week. So I'll be really interested to hear if you share a few thoughts about that. Well, the kind of what are the kind of big issues that, as a group you're really sort of championing? Yes, I mean, I think the thing that all the heads in Head Teacher Roundtable have got in common, and, and and you have that in common as well, Tom. Is I think we're all people who are prepared to say what we think. Um, and we don't always agree with each other. You know, you and I agree about lots of things, but there'll be areas we just we just don't agree on. And that's also true in the round table generally. We don't we're not all singing from the same hymn sheet, but we are all uh in a sense united by a belief that the people who should be making decisions about education are educationalists rather than politicians. And I think that that's that's the thing that, that started the group was was actually why are educationalists not challenging some of the, the the things that are being introduced um, when we don't believe in them, um, and and what do we do about that? So that that kind of thing that we've got in common remains very much. And although people come and go, we tend to recruit people really who are prepared just to put their head above the parapet. So yeah. at the Festival of Education, we had we had five um themes running and they're the five themes of things that we think need to be fixed pretty quickly and in terms of education um, policy and um and and government really um and they're not big and deep and profound things but they are things that need sorting out because they are a mess so one of them is is obviously teacher recruitment and retention that's a mess at the moment and it needs sorting out and it's not being sorted out um another one is um, we need we need you know to radically reform Ofsted um, because it's 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 no longer for bit for purpose and the profession has lost faith in it. That's you know all of the stuff that we know and we have seen over the last the last few months. Um, we need to do something about 
alternative provision and send because lots of promises have been made and those things haven't really made the provision for children in those settings any better. So that whole area needs looking at and, and it needs some, some you know, speedy, speedy answers. Then there's the whole issue about children's services and schools trying to kind of manage almost the whole of society at the moment and all the complex needs of children. It feels sometimes on their own. Yeah. Um, and the, they're just, you know, I, I look back to the days of, of, you know, the Every Child Matters agenda and you know, teams around the child supporting children and proper communication and trying to avoid replication between services. And all of that's just disappeared. And it's, it's a very different landscape. And we just need to we need to bring that back. And then I think I've done four. And then the last one is about taking the politics big P out of, of education more generally. And, you know, bringing it back to what educationalists are researching and saying about, you know, what's good practice in different subjects um, and developing that practice in an intelligent and engaged way um, and a creative way um, and a hungry way as well. You know, that, 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 that we don't just, just accept, you know, one definition of what good, I don't know, uh, reading looks like or what good oracy looks like or whatever that we we're, we're genuinely genuinely evolving in our thinking as as a profession well that should that should keep you busy <laughs> yeah five things but I, but what's interesting is at the moment is that you know people are listening i mean you know we're, we're getting quite a lot of people listening to us and pe- people in, in influential places are listening because they sort of know that things aren't aren't good at the moment. You know, everybody knows that. Everyone recognises it. It doesn't really matter what what political persuasion, you know, you have. Everybody knows it's not great. You know, I, I what I what I love about it is this, that you've carried the the torch uh, forward with this, and I mean, I, I value being in the heads round table massively. And you know, when when I stopped being ahead, I, I kind of hung around for a bit, but I just felt. You can't be in this group if you're not in doing the job. So I just felt it wasn't, I had to stop. But it, it was, as a as a head, it made me, it gave me huge support. And that part of being a, a part of a collective is, is very powerful. And there's something about the fact that it's not affiliated, it's not a union, it's a kind of club in a way, it is. And it is it is that, you just join because you're keen and you, you know, you're up for it. And it doesn't have this huge sort of constitution or anything. It's just a kind of support group with a with a voice. And I think that's great because it's nimble and it's agile and it can say what it likes without fear. And so yeah. that's really brilliant the way you've you've really banged the drum. And I and I, I feel like I mean, just just that thing that you just said there about schools having to do everything and the lack of wraparound. It's it sort of is it all just about money then? I mean does it does it just come down to spend more money on education? Um, to some degree, yes, it is all about, all about money, but it's also about vision, you know, and seeing society in a different way. You know, I mean, there's this feeling that schools are responsible for all opportunity in society. And actually, one of the things I, I rather like, and I've just read it about about the, uh, the, the opportunity mission document from the Labour Party, actually, is that it recognises that schools aren't the only, only agency. And that, you know, we've got responsibility to employment skills later on and early years and childcare and, and all these other agencies that intermesh with how children develop. Um, and that that's where I, you know, I 
sort of have my own belief is is in that notion of that you know a village raises the child um not not you know that not that the school does it and i think that uh, we it's it is a philosophical as well as a, a, a as well as a funding issue Tom, i think you can't yes, be a head teacher and the director of children's services at the same time <laughs> it's completely impossible isn't it it's just yeah and 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 also you're not playing to specialism you know, we, we're specialist educators, but it doesn't mean to say that we don't want to be working with a range of other services in, a, in an intelligent and a, and a connected way for the sake of individuals. Because otherwise, they just, you know, that people get treated as commodity and pass from pillar to post. And it, there's, not, there's no holistic perspective on, on, on the individuals and their needs. Mm-hmm. This is the stuff that used to make me. I mean, this is the hard, some of the hardest features I've ever had. I remember having this meeting. like. It was, it was like literally my last few weeks of being ahead. So we, I was kind of like struggling. There's like 10 kids on a list. I just had a meeting with the, the, the big honchos at the local authority. And I said, look, what am I supposed to do with these kids? I mean, what can we do with them? Like, what setting is there where these kids will thrive and be happy? Because it's not this one. It's like, it's too big. They're breaking out of the classroom every day because they can't cope. It's just... We don't have the people. Who? What kind of people do we need? Help me! Like, and they and all they could come out to me was, "Well, you're you're accountable for this. You're responsible." I was saying, "Look, I'm sticking my hands up here. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> I I honestly don't know what to do with them. And you're not able to answer my question. And I just thought that was just like appalling. Yeah. They, they, there was no place or service, and they weren't the kids weren't sort of special needs enough to go to the special school." They had chronic social deprivation needs. Uh, they were their families were struggling. It was just there's so many multiple factors there, and yeah. we were the ones having to do with it. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and, and, and you know what? And and I, even in a really really you know um, great school, you're still going to get a few few you know groups of children in every year group who are not accessing what they need to be accessing. And although it works for, you know, the vast majority, there's always that group you're going to have to make some really special arrangements for. And, uh, and, and you know, cohort by cohort, the size of that group will change because of the trauma those young people have experienced, because of all manner of, all manner of things, you know. And we sort of pretend, don't we, that that's not the case. And mm. what you're saying is absolutely true, Tom, that, that you know, we, we look at that, we realise there's something different that needs to happen. Um, and it can be a really inclusive thing, but it needs to be imaginative and it and it needs to be funded as well. Um, and all the agencies need to be involved in those solutions together. Yeah. Yeah. I was just pondering the thought that one size fits all is not the most appropriate model and there's got to be something, some offshoots of our initial great provision for those children who don't necessarily or their needs can't be met however hard you try in the in the organizations that we have with the with the people and the resources that we have yeah and I, and I think that sometimes you know we underestimate the damage that's done to young people you know and that and that that I think if you could you know if if when you're really idealistic and you think oh you know maybe if we had you know, an all school through arrangement where we had a lot of control over what was going on from the moment a child was, was you know, in, in nursery all the way through, we'd be able to 
you know, make sure that the provision met their needs, et cetera, et cetera. Life's not like that. They're only spending a proportion of time in school. Life happens to kids. And, and, you know, and the more that that happens, the more difficult it is as they get older and older and older for them to, you know, be fully integrated in, in everything that happens, no matter what, how, how hard you try. And I would agree with that. With Tom, you're only talking about a tiny percentage of children. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. um, but it is still the case that in a secondary school, you, you do have to think about as they go through the school, making some sort of serious adjustments and, and adaptations to programs. Mm. But I, you're right, it's a small number. I'm mentally scrolling through my years of headship on that, and it's not a massive amount of um numbers of children, but that. It's that child's life, isn't it? And you've got to get things right for that child. And it may only be one child, two child, children, three children, but that's their experience and that's their life. And we've got to, we, we can't just say, oh, it's only one or two. We've got to focus on yeah, right for them going forwards as well. Yeah. What, what would, what, I mean, we, without trying to sort of go into sort of part two, because we could sort of. <laughs> What, what's your main thing like with with because we talked about Ofsted in Emma and I do sometimes do this uh, an episode where we just talk to each other we did one recently where we talked a bit about Ofsted and I've got particular views about that but what in terms of your recommendations for things to do differently rather than just say you know scrap it whatever but what are you saying like even the real reality is it's probably not going to be scrapped it's just going to be changed so what would you be saying to uh, like an income coming government uh, do yeah. this. I always think it's odd that I am such a, a you know, an outspoken person about Ofsted, really, because I'm somebody whose career has entirely benefited from it. You know, I've always done really good Ofsteds, um, and the results have, have, have been have been strong. And um, and yet I am critical of it because actually, um, I don't think it has been the Ofsted at any point that the school's got that has uh, shaped how we've improved it. In fact, it's been the thing that sometimes has inhibited that and it's a barrier we've had to overcome because it generates such fear and it takes up such a disproportionate amount of people's of mental space and, and workspace. Um, mm. And, you know, all sorts of uh, activity that is entirely generated by the need to do well at Ofsted dominates schools at all times. Um, so there's, there's the, all those kind of perverse, you know, incentives that, that Austin generates. Um, the, the, the kind of cliff edge grading is, is, is ridiculous. Um, it's, it, you know, I, I listened to Amanda Spielman talking about it last week and she was sort of saying, well, you know, parents need this. I don't know any parents who, who want their local school, but they don't sometimes have any choice about where they send their child to school. They send their child to the local school. That's most people, actually. You know, most people don't live in London. They don't have three schools on their doorstep. They have their local school and they send their children to their local school. And if it's got a big, you know, horrible grading sitting over it, it does nothing at all to to help it to recruit the best teachers, you know, or to retain the students it has. And that, of course, impacts on its finances and, and it impacts on the morale of the staff. And there's so many things that are just wrong about that grading system when, when you get the wrong side of it. Um, so getting rid of all of that, yes, every every school's got to be accountable and every school's got to be constantly wanting to do its job better. Of course it should do, you know, but it doesn't need to be so high stakes and so cliff edge and so terrifying for, for human beings who are involved in the system. Mm. 
Well, that's that's for sure. I mean, I and I feel like I don't know. I you just wish that someone would just grab that by the metal and say, look, okay, we're going to we're going to change that because it's 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 not doing what it needs to. And I feel like until that that cliff edge goes, it's it's going to be hard to shift some of the rest of it. But I, I personally, can I just say to you, I personally truly appreciate your your campaigning about this because it's it's coming from a group of people who are highly effective intelligent sophisticated thinkers about education and are saying this uh and you think well that your voices should be heard um because it's not like there aren't multiple other ways that we could conceive of holding schools to account which doesn't have to do that and some people are so it's the lack of imagination around it which just frustrates head out of me you think you'd imagine this was the only way it could be done you know and of course it's just so yeah, far Absolutely. And, and any intelligent organisation has done so many different iterations of, of how to self-evaluate, hasn't it? You know, I mean, mm. we've done all of them, you know, we've done all of them. We used to do mini offsteads. We used to do area reviews, which were like mini offsteads, but in areas. We've done, you know, targeted, graded, you know, Michael Wilshaw's clipboard style walking about stuff. We've done not doing it at all. Uh, we've done leave it to the departments we've done and we don't know any of that anymore and schools have kind of they've intelligently reflected on on their own you know evaluation of, of quality and and changed and yet Ofsted has just not has it it's just carried on and every time it changes it kind of tightens itself up to become even more punitive like that's going to be the thing that really works um yeah doesn't, I think it's it me about the system is that you kind of move your school forward when you've got a really clear picture of usualness. This is what usually happens here. So this is the point from which we can start moving forward from the point of usualness. And I don't think there's anything more unusual than what happens during an offstage where they come in for a short period of time. Everyone's doing either something brilliant that they don't normally do or something utterly mad because they've completely you know you know lost the ability to think clearly and there's the most unusual way of measuring what should usually be happening because usual is made up of highs lows bits in the middle you know to build that picture and you can't build that picture necessarily over those two days and it always makes me smile that to comment on the usual practice of a of a of an organisation, you do in the most unusual circumstances. You're quite, you're quite right. It's uh, and, and people change their behaviours, don't they? Oh gosh. Yeah, it, you know the the children change, the, the staff change, um, people appear on corridors who are never normally seen. Um, <laughs> all sorts of all sorts of things happen um, during those inspections because of the level of fear and because of the bluffed na- nature of it. You know. Um, and it's, it's, I always think it's such a contrast. My, my, my um, financial officer Paul, often says, oh, you know, we've got our audit in. That's our Ofsted, he'll tell me. And I say, no, it isn't, Paul. You know, actually, if, if Ofsted was like the audit, the financial audit, you know, you'd have a relationship with this person. They'd come and sit in your office for a week. They'd pour over things. They'd ask you for stuff they hadn't seen. You'd have a long chat with them. They'd come out and say, what do you think of my findings? And you'd say... Yeah, I think I can prove that that isn't the case. It, it that and, and actually, what's the worst that can happen? You get a document that has some actions on it. Um, it's not cliff edge. Nobody loses their job, and yet you've got stuff to do the following year to improve your financial 
you know, management, or you haven't. And it's it's just not. I mean, obviously, if you are doing terrible things, and I still think that is true about school accountability in all regards, if you're doing terrible things, somebody needs to stop you doing them, right? And if that's true of your finances, that is absolutely what an auditor must do. But if you're doing a reasonably good job, it's not a painful experience having an audit. No. Exactly. So it's and, and that and that's the thing. But I and I and I think you get that that balance right. And it's great to have people who are who are sort of you know winners in the system in a sense. I mean, who are sort of also able to critique it because sometimes that isn't the case. And you're brilliant for just representing a whole range of schools uh, through through chairing the heads round table, but also just your general advocacy. Thanks. I mean, one of the things I think is really important is that you don't believe your own hype. I mean, I always get, I, I get sometimes quite irritated by some educational figures who, you know, who really do believe they're as good as other people tell them they are. And I think that I, 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 I better make a note of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's, but it's, but it, it's having that kind of humble, yeah. Yeah, self-critical, yeah. actually, I'm a bit of a wazzock approach i think he's incredibly grounding you know and important it's true and that that, that comes over but i i'm gonna gonna sort of we're gonna have to wrap it up in a minute caroline because we're having our we have our the producer channel sort of sending us the time it's like (laughs) knocking on the door at the moment sort of digitally saying we've got to finish up but i i I just think what you do is fantastic so i kind of going to wrap this up with really by, by just going there i just think that because you walk the talk and you've delivered such an amazing school through all the processes, not by being some sort of giant hero, but through building a team, cultivating a culture and, and sort of celebrating all those things that's so important. It, it, it really works. And I'm going to go back to this thing. I read, I'm going to read it out because I wrote this five years ago. I visited and it says, it, I talk about all these lessons I saw and it says, I hope the details go some way to illustrate the, the learning rainforest, superb conditions, deep knowledge, exciting possibilities, culture and systems, rigor, teaching to the top, teaching for memory and recall, but also joy, awe and wonder in plentiful supply. It's a truly wonderful school that many could learn from. And I end up by saying excellence like this doesn't happen by magic, but you've created something very special. And I just think it's, and you can just listen to you now, you can see why, because you just, it's all about the balance of intelligent understanding, but also the right kind of spirit. And it, it's, it's, I think that's brilliant. And, you know, I really think people can learn a lot from you. I certainly have. And I want to say a huge thank you to you for all you're doing. Oh, thank and, you very much, Tom. I am still a wazzock. <laughs> yeah, you may say that. But, you know, you don't want to have to believe my hope, but I, I feel like it's worth, you know, because you're not going to do it for yourself. So I, I'm going to do it for you. But I think, I think it's brilliant. And, you know, I don't know if you want to get loads of people, you're going to get loads of people want to come visit your schools now, but which I'm sure you'll have some way of dealing with that. But also thanks for sort of keep championing the head, Heads Round Table. It's a brilliant organisation. And it's, you know, I, without your voice, I think we'd be, you know, there aren't enough people who are saying the things you say, and it's brilliant that you're there sort of supporting that group to do its work, which, which again, you do in that very collaborative collegiate way, which is, which is so good. So yeah, thank you so much for being on Mind the Gap. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's it's been lovely to talk to you. And you know, I'm I'm really proud to be part of the Head Teachers Roundtable and to be, you know, part of, of that collective of voices because 
they they are also so inspiring and so supportive as a team as well. I was going to ask Caroline before I say thank you how people can find out more about her Teach Roundtable, how they can follow the work that you do, potentially get involved. What's the process and what's the contact details for getting involved? Um, we hold events every now and then. So um, we usually have a strand at the Festival of Education. Um, we don't have any subs or any membership as such. Um, so we've got no money that we can use to put on events. But we do sometimes get sponsored by groups like, you know, Schools Week or whatever to put on a conference. And hopefully we'll be able to do something like that uh, in the course of this year, which will just be entirely, you know, cost neutral. Um and and I think the other thing is just is is just to sort of read the blogs that come out, comment on those, um, get involved in discussions. Because if you're the sort of person who you know has has strong feelings about education and is prepared to listen to other people and prepared to be a bit brave in terms of saying what you think, you might be the sort of person that might like to take part in the kind of discussions that we have over policy with with politicians and with with anybody who'll listen really. Yeah, that's great. And also just follow for on, on Twitter. I think it's just at Heads Roundtable, which is quite... Yeah, you know, at, at Heads Roundtable. And, ...and engage with that. So, look, thank you so much uh, once again, Caroline, and uh, thank you to everyone listening. We're, we're still thrilled by the response we're getting to Mind the Gap. We get something like over 2,000 people listening to every episode, which is amazing to us, and uh, that keeps on growing. Uh, thank you so much for listening to all the episodes this, this year. This is our last one. Uh, so have a great summer, everybody. And we'll see you around about September with some more guests. But we've had a great run. Uh, so thank you very much. And uh, thank you to Emma, who is a great person to work with. We thank you, Tom. We fudge our way through. We don't yeah. always forget the best way. It seems to work all right. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Sean, in the background. And yeah. the team have produced it this series. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Mind the Gap. We hope you enjoyed hearing what's on our minds today. For much more great content, make sure to check out the video version of our show, which includes additional segments and features. Visit edcircuit.com or go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma. See you next time.